You are listening to a Banzai Retro Club podcast. Language and topics may not always be appropriate for younger listeners. Press 1 for a groovy topic from the 1970s. Press 2 for an awesome topic from the 1980s. Or press 3 for a slamming topic from the 1990s. Please choose now. Too late. We have made your selection for you. Let's start the show. Awesome. Hey, okay, so real quick. Derek, meet Dave. Hello, Dave. What's up, Dave? How's it going, Derek? Great, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Awesome. And then, Derek, we also have Chris. Hello. What's up, dude? So so who's – which one of you guys lives locally here in Tarpon area? Well, Clearwater. Chris. Clearwater? I live – yeah, I live in Clearwater. Clearwater Chris, area. all right, gotcha. All right, so you and I will probably meet up for a beer at some point. <laughs> that sounds good. Possibly, yes. <laughs> and, then and then Dave, Dave where, where's Dave? Dave? Dave's in the suburb of Chicago. Oh, well, I love Chicago, too, so we'll probably meet up for a beer as well. <laughs> oh, well good. I was, I was feeling a little left out there, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm more excited about that beer than I am the Clearwater one, but <laughs> has nothing. <laughs> has nothing to do with anybody's uh, personality, I guess. Uh, that works. <laughs> so, Chris, real quick, um, I actually Friday and Thursday I had Paul's Pizza. Well, well we uh, we found out that Paul's Pizza is on Uber Eats. Oh, really? We had it delivered last night, so that's a very nice. scary thing. Nice. Yeah. So hey, okay, so so Derek and Dave, Dave, first of all, being from Chicago, you know good pizza. Um, yeah. Paul's Pizza is one of the places that is really a, it's a really good authentic Chicago pizza down here. It's one of the few that we actually have in this area. And uh, are you are you familiar with Luminati's? Luminati's? Oh yeah. Okay, what? How is that compared to Lou's? It's it's different. It's a little bit thinner crust and a little crispier. It's okay. More, it's more like a um, the thinner crust pizza where Lou's is not thin, but it's it's good. But uh, wait, I thought this was an Eddie Van Halen podcast. Not we're a gonna get podcast. there. Don't worry, we're gonna get there. <laughs> oh, oh. All right. <laughs> this is the, the, the pre-chatter yeah, that the we always do. Chit chat. So yeah, yeah I, I I like I think the next one should be a pizza podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking retro pizza? Is that so connected on our channel? That's what I'm saying. We we could do like a hundred different pizza podcasts, man. I'm I'm in on every one of them. <laughs> oh, all right, cool. So um, let me check my recording real quick here. Dave, are you recording as well? I am recording. Cool. Do we do we have redundancy? We do. Nice. We have I just love that. Love that. Yeah, it's always good. It's good to have a backup. <laughs> you never know. No, it's coming very. It's coming very handy. Oh yeah, several times we've had to use the backup tapes. So, all right. <laughs> tape? You're actually using tape? No, yes, I'm using tape. <laughs> I'm actually. Uh, it's, uh, it's. You know, the magnetic. It's. It's. It's a four-track tape. So. Yeah, yeah, kids. There was this thing called a cassette. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Not right. eight track, but four track. Yeah. Oh, okay. Since there's four of us, it makes I sense. I got the right? real, real going. Yeah. I mean, at least half of what we're going to talk about tonight has to do with cassettes. 
Yes, I, I you know what I, I'll agree with that because cassettes played a huge role back when on this on this topic. All right, so, so, so actually, actually, I got a quick question. Uh, yeah. You might about be about to say it, but like in these podcasts that you do, do you I, is this going to be a chronological conversation? Are we going to start at the beginning and go to the end, or, or are we just going to randomly just so, spew off what what pops in our heads? Um, you're gonna have you're gonna just kind of have your three or four top songs or riffs or whatever you want to call it or mine i chose like a lot of intros like minor you know there's a lot of really great intros so i'll start the conversation i'm going to introduce everybody um i will then start up the conversation about eddie and and van halen as a whole and i'm going to probably run through the discography real quick yeah and just kind of rattle off the names of the albums and when they kind of came came out. And then we'll go back and we'll each kind of take a turn on talking about a certain song or something that, that had an influence on us. And of course, we'll have to discuss – I'm sure Eruption will be the one of the main topics. So <laughs> it has but, to be. I, but mean, but I mean, yeah, the, you know, usually our the format of our show is very random. Uh, so we okay. really – I mean – you know, Scott laying out kind of the the guidelines is really the the, the most forethought that we've ever had in an episode. It's so. a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I We're usually it. just so winging wherever it. the conversation yeah. goes. Okay. Yeah. One la- one last question before we actually record. Can we not? Can I swear by accident? You can swear as much as you want. Fuck no. Not okay. on this show. I didn't. Know. I mean, <laughs> no, do you want no, me to? Okay. Do no. you want me to focus? Do you want me to focus on not swearing or just? Just if it happens, it happens. Hey, just, you, you, no, you're good. Just say whatever the hell you want. Okay. Well, just if, be, be this you. is this is a podcast about Van Halen, so everyone right. should be smoking three cigarettes and have <laughs> a bottle of whiskey. Oh like, shoot, I'm out of whiskey. I, I need to refresh oh. my glass. I got my bourbon right here, man. Uh, fired. I didn't plan that out very well. No, you didn't. Oh man. I guess that's the other question. Are you, yeah. Scott? Do you do you edit this thing? Like, if we take a pause to get a drink or something, like, yeah. Or is it, or you just let it rip? Yeah, we uh, we, we do edit. Yeah, uh, like if there's a long pause or you know something that happens, like a tech issue or something like that, we'll edit all that out. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I'll probably edit all this first beginning chit chats because we're getting to know. You know, Derek, you're just coming on for the first time, so. All this is yeah. unimportant. Sometimes we leave the preview, like the 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 uh, the intro chit chat. Sometimes we leave that on the show because it's right. just it's just sometimes it's me and Dave and Rose or Chris or or Suzanne, and we're just kind of catching up and just chit chatting for about five or ten minutes before we actually start the show. So, of course. Um, but now and sometimes me, it's fun conversation, and you know, I, and in some way our listeners get to know us a little better. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it, it's it, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's meaningless. <laughs> could be ha- that could that could be happening right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, I'll get us started. Are you guys ready? Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. Rock and roll. Great compilation tape. Light breaking up is hard to do and takes ages longer than it might seem. 
You got to kick it off with a killer to grab attention. Then you got to take it up a notch, but you don't want to blow your wad. So then you got to cool it off a notch. There are a lot of rules. 12 albums, one cent. Find our ad in Sunday's paper. Take it to your mailbox. You'll get a lot more music. You'll get a lot more life. Look in your Sunday paper. Welcome, listener. For those about to rock, we salute you. This is our podcast dedicated to exploring and talking about the greatness that was the music of the best decade. If you're ready for the best in retro music topics on the planet, we present for your enjoyment 80s mixtape auto reverse. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bonsai Retro Club. Um, we are doing a special show tonight. Uh, this last week, we lost a very important person in the rock and roll world uh, to cancer, and that would be Eddie Van Halen. Uh, huge, huge impact on, on many of our lives uh, musically, whether it was just to enjoy his music or whether it was uh, influence to help, you know, other people get into playing guitar or anything. So with me tonight is one of my one of our usual co-hosts, Dave, the Overlord. How's it going? Yeah, it's thank you, uh, you know, for that setup. I, you know, I was a little worried there for a minute. I thought we were on the Lamal topic. <laughs> no, so, no, not um, Lamal, no, yeah. not tonight. Yeah. Okay, we yep. won't focus on Lamal. Never ending story. <laughs> <laughs> and we have returning Chris. Hello, hello, glad to be here. Thank you for for having me on. And we have a new guest. Uh, Derek, uh, he is somebody that I met recently, and I know that he's a huge fan of Van Halen and uh, just rock and metal in the in, you know in general. So I thought he would be. He he sent me a couple of clips the other day of him playing some Eddie stuff, Eddie Van Halen stuff, and uh, you know I'm like he need he should just be on the show because I know he's comfortable with you know being part of the entertainment industry does editing for some uh for like the golf channel and not so he know he knows the industry a little bit anyway derek welcome i'm glad you're yeah, here man. i'm glad to be here man this is a pleasure i i never thought i'd be on a podcast and uh this is exciting i'm i'm excited but this is an honor to be able to talk about a dude that uh had a lot to do with my life i think i mean at this point maybe not as much as it did a long time ago but it, i can't tell you how happy i am to be here Cool. All right. So obviously we're, we're talking about Eddie Van Halen and his life as a musician and uh, losing him too soon to to a tragic, tragic thing like cancer. Um, it's it's really it was kind of it really hit home the other day. Like he's had such a huge impact just on on my musical taste. You know, I mean, he came around when I was in I was 10 years old when when the first album came out and I, I don't remember the first album, you know, being introduced to that when I was that young. I remember learning about it back in high school in the mid eighties, starting to learn a lot about it. The, the, the whole band and where they came from and all the other albums that were out there. Um, so I think we're just kind of, we're going to, we're just going to, I'm going to run through the, uh, the album list real quick of when they came out and what albums, you know, they have, uh, between, between David Lee Roth 
and Sammy Hagar. I'm not going to mention Gary Sharon, <laughs> although I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mention. Uh, don't worry, I'll mention him later. I, I figured you would. I know you're a big extreme <laughs> fan. Um, I thought with Van Halen, it just didn't quite work out uh, in in my my opinion. Uh, so first first album came out in 1978, just self titled Van Halen. Probably one of the best debut albums of uh, just about any band that I've heard. Uh, Van Halen 2 came out in 1979. Women and Children First was 1980. Fair Warning is 81. Diver Down is 82. So they were like every year for the first five albums, they came out with a new album every single year. And it didn't. It doesn't seem like many bands do that anymore, you know, where it's like back-to-back albums. Um, and then they skipped a year and went to 1984 when the split of David Lee Roth and uh, Van Halen kind of happened. That was their last album together before reuniting many, many years later. But then they brought in Sammy Hagar. And in my opinion, the sound of the band changed uh, pretty dramatically. It it took on a more, uh, just a different sound altogether. The, uh, the direction they were going. So then you had 1986, 5150 was the first album with uh, Sammy. And then OU812 was 88. In 91, you had Four Unlawful Kernel Knowledge. 1995 was Balance. And then 1998 was Van Halen 3 when Gary Sharon stepped in for the one album. And then in 2012, they uh, reunited with David Lee Roth and came out with Different Kind of Truth. Now, all right, I'm going to start with uh, Derek. If you were okay, you know what? Let me back up a second. I think we all know that eruption is probably his calling card, right? Would, would you all agree? Yeah. Like that's 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 yeah. the that's that that's you know n- you know no lyric, just so- solo of him jamming, uh, and I think it changed a lot of people's vision of what guitars could do. I mean, they were really starting to starting to uh, appreciate a different sound, and he brought a new sound to it, and he just did things. Like I heard, uh, or I saw one of the tweets uh, right after he passed. Um, Tom Kiefer said that the first time that his son heard Eruption, he asked, uh, how is he playing with two picks? Like it sounds, <laughs> you know, he has that sound to him. Like he's doing some, some crazy stuff. So, um Eruption, I know. Let let's let me get you guys' take just on that song alone. Um, Derek, what do you think? Eruption. Yeah, I mean, uh, at this point in my life, I've heard it so many times. I I almost am kind of numb to it. It doesn't. I don't think it affects me now like it did when I first heard it. Right. When I first heard it, I would agree that like uh, it sounded like it was more than one guitar. It sounded like. It, you know, it sounded like something I had never heard. But then when I I think for me as a guitar player, uh, when I see somebody do it as something that I thought was done one way and then all of a sudden it's done another way back then, you didn't see a lot of this. You couldn't just pull it up on YouTube or whatever. Hey, yeah. So the, fir- the first time I saw him play Eruption, I think that's when it really hit me as to how impressive it was, because it was like I thought it was just multiple tracks and and all that kind of stuff and didn't realize it was one dude just playing it kind of straight through as a jam. And, um, that's when I first saw him do it, that's when it really hit home. But yeah, that, I mean, that song is, is 
his quintessential, you know, lick. And he does it in every live concert and he does it everywhere. And it's amazing. And it, it gives goosebumps every time you see it. It's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Chris, what, what what was your take on Eruption? Well, for, for me, it kind of it, it's separate from anything else that they ever did. Like if I had to pick a top three, I wouldn't choose Eruption because that is a singular entity all by itself. Mm. And it should be that way. Like I, I, I wouldn't put that as a top three because everyone's going to pick it, first of all. And it's so quintessentially different and legendary that I mean, it changed it changed guitar rock guitar music forever with the moment that people heard it. And you have to remember in 78, you know, 77, 78, when he was playing that stuff and he was doing it at that LA scene, you know, these were when all the young heavy metal bands that started playing in the early eighties were going to these clubs and sneaking in these clubs and seeing this. So they were kind of hip to it before any of us were because you know like like derek said we you, you couldn't there was no mtv there was no youtube i mean i was nine when van halen one came out and i remember hearing it because my friend uh had an older brother who was older by about 10 years so you know nine-year-olds don't typically ride their bike to the record store you know and buy a <laughs> right. buy a record you know it just doesn't do so i had that with a 10 year old 10 10 year older friend who played these albums, who had these uh, albums, you know, the vinyl. And I remember the first time I ever heard it, um, I probably listened to it 20 times. I probably scratched his record all to hell because I couldn't, I couldn't understand what I was hearing. It didn't, it, it was so good. I mean, it was, it was incredible, but at some point your brain just says, I, I don't understand how he's doing that. Like, is it, could it be two guitars? Is it, is it played on a loop? Is it multi-track? Like, is he using some kind of, which Eddie was very, you know, he sort of brought back some of the effects from the late sixties that guitar players at like somewhere in the seventies, they kind of got lost like phasers and, and things like that. Mm. A lot of his, um, his guitar work and solo work and even the rhythm parts were all. So I thought, is this, is this like, it just generated somehow with some sort of phase loop or something. It was just, it just, it was, it blew my mind. And like Derek said, maybe today now it doesn't affect me the way that it did before, but I can't always say that because when I queue up my Apple music and I've been listening to a lot of Van Halen lately, just cause you like, you sort of reconnect with it yeah. when you, when something like that happens, you sort of like, well, I forgot how great, the vast majority of the songs are even the ones that that you know weren't are on the radio or not the first top five that you would think of like their catalog has songs all over their albums that are fantastic and it did i still to this day i'll put on van halen one i'll skip right past running with the devil and go right to eruption because <laughs> that, that that should be the first song in my mind they screwed it up because Eruption should, should be song number one, and then go into "You Really Got Me." And "Running with the Devil" should be down. Yeah, because like, I'll that skip would, it. That'd be a perfect hook. I mean, you how could you have, how right. could you stop like, listening after that first? That and, and let's eruption. not forget, let's not forget that you know you couldn't just cue up song number two on a you know 
not very easily on vinyl or even cassette for that for that matter. Yeah. But you had to do it. So you started with song one. So maybe it was just for marketing. Like if they can get past song one and they hear song two, they'll listen to the rest of the album, hmm. which happens quite often in the music industry. They'll put the best song like song number four, because if you get there, you'll probably listen to the rest. Yeah. But so is huge importance of in all kinds of ways, personally and, and for the music industry. We, I mean, we may dive into that a little bit later because I don't want to drag it out. But Eruption, I mean, it changed it changed everything, it changed yeah. everything. So, Dave, where, where are you on on this? Do you, do you have something to add here? Yeah, I I think what Derek was saying is definitely spot on. You know, because you have the, you know, when you hear it, you know, and you're like, okay, then, you know, this is just really mixed well in the studio. And you kind of take that for granted. But then when you see it now, I mean, I've never seen Van Halen live, but, you know, I, I've got, you know, YouTube and I can, you know, look stuff up and, you know, all of a sudden I'm seeing him play this and I'm like, what the hell? That's amazing. And so I have a lot of respect for that. I'm not a guitar player, so I mean I don't, you know, when I see something that is, you know, just so skillful, you know, hats off to the guy. Uh, so, you know, to me that's, you know, it, it's it's the difference between, you know, you're just listening to it, like you know, I I listen to stuff on Spotify and I have things that are played, you know, via playlists and they just kind of show up, um, and you know. So when I hear something that's really good like that, I just think, okay, well then, you know, somebody did a really great job in the studio, you know, mixing stuff together, uh, and you know, and, and that's not the case here, you know. I mean, they, I mean, obviously it sounds great, but you know, to see, you know, a live performance of him playing this, you're like, okay, I, I had that wrong, you know, that wasn't mixed together, that was him just being him. Yeah. Uh, so that's how talented he is. He definitely has some raw talent that um I, that a lot of people I don't you know you just don't get gifted like that uh, the way he was gifted. Um, right. So a little bit of history on Van Halen the band itself. You know when they started out it was uh you know with David Lee Roth and and his brother Alex Van Halen on drums and then Michael Anthony on bass. Um, they were just they had such great chemistry back in the early days. Uh, before the you know before the split of David Lee Roth and then they brought in Sammy Hagar uh, in the mid '80s, which those first six albums are wait six seven one two three four five no six six albums that they had with David Lee Roth and then another six with um, or five wow no it was only four I'm way off only four with Sammy so anyway you have uh, those, yeah, the know. funny thing with Sammy, the, the funny thing with Sammy was he was in the band longer than David Lee Roth, but put less albums out. Yeah, because <laughs> Van Halen, I mean Van Halen put out five albums in five years. So. Yeah, well, and that was a different time too. Like, I mean, those were the days when when people were putting out albums faster, like back to back, more so than they did later on in the '90s and whatnot. Because um, I know uh, one of the bands that I've listened to over the last. 12 years or so is um, like not Creed, but Alter Bridge. Alter Bridge was part of where, you know, was Creed or whatever, but Alter Bridge, it takes them like their 
albums are coming out every three years or something like that. So it just seems like it takes longer yeah. to pump out the albums. They were they were really pushing it back then. I think it was probably less expensive to actually record back then. I could be completely wrong. What do you think, Chris? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was vastly less expensive to okay. record. You know, yeah. you could you could put out albums a lot quicker. But, you know, let's I mean, let's take some of their albums later for what they were. Um, you know, Van Halen had this thing later before 1984, like Diver Down was a was a bunch of cover songs. You know, there's there's a few cover songs. They 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 kind of got into the cover song thing and a little bit. So a little like, bit. I think they I think they do more covers than most bands that I've heard. Like that are that are large well, commercial bands. It, and look, some of that stuff too is just because of record contract viability. You have to do a certain amount of albums in a certain amount of time. Yeah. To fulfill your contract, and you know, I don't know the story behind it, but uh, it's totally a guess. But an album like Diver Down screams to me of we have to make a fifth album so we can fulfill this contract. So let's just throw some songs together and we'll do five cover songs and we'll have a 12 song album and we're good to go. Uh, yeah. Like that it happens a lot in the and Diver in Down the industry. Had, they had what? Did they have five on there on that one? Oh, pretty, pretty woman dancing, dancing in the street. In the street. Uh, happy trails happy trails yeah big bad bill might have been yeah i think milton, that was covered milton Ager yeah. and jack yellen anyway it's interesting how many cover songs they they actually did yeah and like to start off in their first album with a cover too uh of you're no good i mean uh sorry you really got me that yeah. was one of their biggest hits too and the intro yeah. of course is eruption that started that whole song so anyway um yeah well let's uh Derek, why don't you give us an idea of what one of your, like one of your top songs would be, uh, you know, uh, or riffs or whatever, however you want to describe it. Uh, Well, I would say, I mean, I I wrote down my favorite riffs. We can we can get into it later, but I mean, at least the beginning of my Van Halen uh, career, we'll call it. Um, Van Halen Two was actually the first album I really kind of knew in eighty. 283 something in there i guess i don't know when it came out but um that's when i started to really get into music in the you know i was in like junior high school and van halen 2 was like one of the first cassettes i owned and it was the first one i remember like listening to and beautiful girls the the little intro lick to that um i would definitely if we're going to talk about our top five licks or intros or whatever um that's definitely the earliest one in my life that i heard and one of my favorite ones that I literally play to this day on my guitar. I played it the other day and I still couldn't believe I could remember it, but I did. Um, but that little lick on that and that, that whole album had such a, it just had such a raw feel to it and a high energy feel to it and a happy feel to it. I guess that's why I gravitated towards it. But um, that album to this day still is, I mean, of the uh, David Lee Roth catalog, that's probably, that's still my favorite album in Halen too. Huh. That's interesting. Uh, that's not one of my w- wouldn't have been one of my picks. I um, as far as like one of my favorites, I, I I lean towards a couple of the others. 
but that's that's good. I, there's some uh, that you've got a couple different what two two songs on there that are covers. Um, when did this get introduced? When did you uh, get introduced to Van Halen, Derek? It was right around that time. I was I was so in like, junior high. Okay, yeah, junior, junior high, high. Right. 80, 82, 83 in there. Right before nineteen eighty four came out um, is when I started to get into them. And Van Halen two. I mean, I heard Van Halen one as well, but and I heard Eruption and all that stuff. But Van Halen two was the one that I think I think I kind of like jumped into them all at once. So the albums that had come out prior to 1984, I jumped into all of those fair warning women and children first Van Halen and Van Halen two. I kind of uh, explored all of them at the same time, but I yeah. think Van Halen two was the one that just, there was something about that album um, that I liked better. I mean, I love all of them, <laughs> but that was the one that was my favorite and still is um, in that era. But I can't really explain why I just, there was just something about the vibe of it and the songs, just the songs on it. I love them. I love every song on it. Right. DOA is an amazing song. I love that song. Chris, yeah. Chris, what about you? You have a, a, a song you or an album you want to mention or song or riff or something? Chris, you there? Hello. Sorry, I was muted. I was, I was muted because I was coughing. You there? That's okay. Yeah, we're here. I was muted because I was, I was coughing. Well, thanks for hitting so, the cough button, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as I have been, uh, you know, listening to a lot of Inhalen lately, because I, it's not something that I listen to on a daily basis. Because like, you know, the way things are now, you have catalogs of music in your phone mm-hmm. so you can listen to thousands of songs and Van Halen was not always one that I would queue up, but I kind of noticed that every time I would the last few days open up my music app and I wanted to play a song, the one song that I always go to first that I listen to every single time is DOA (laughs) because it's, it's probably one of the heaviest licks that they have. Um, And if there are some videos and things like that with, with Eddie understood the idea of commercialism and what Van Halen sort of stood for. They were that SoCal party band, especially with David being the, you know, the blonde, good looking surf looking guy, you know, they understood what commercial viability meant and DOA probably isn't commercially viable as far as the Van Halen brand, but I tend to like heavier music anyway. And uh, DOA, it's just the opening lick on that is it's it's so simple. Yet as soon as you get past that first guitar lick, and then Alex's drums come in, yeah, and then you get the rhythm going, and then it's like the the little chunky part in the intro, like and then right into the vocals, um, and then they're kind of a little bit darkish you know, vocal lyrics in it too. Not so much like the happy stuff like Van Halen's normally playing. So, and I tend to go towards that music anyway. So, uh, DOA, probably the third best thing that Eddie Van Halen ever did was DOA. If eruption is first, DOA is third and bagging Valerie Bertinelli was second. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see how long this is going to take. Of course, my brother, Valerie. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. Good so one. Definitely DOA. Like if I had to put on a song, if if we got off here and you said, okay, listen to a Van Halen song and I wanted to listen to it, I probably would go straight to DOA besides a couple other songs. But I've just noticed when you mentioned doing this podcast and picking songs, like I've noticed over the last three or four days since Eddie passed away that when I do cue it up and I'm in the truck, for some reason, it's just it's like right to DOA. Yeah. That's a great song. So it just it's nice. Like you said, it was crunchy. Right, Dave? Dave Dave knows yeah, how crunchy. I, yeah, uh, we we've had an in-depth discussion about, you know, what a crunchy sound is. Yeah. Uh, courtesy of Scott. So uh, I'm I'm so glad to hear somebody else bring that up besides Scott. <laughs> Hey, yeah, and- we, we actually had a, a, a episode where we were discussing songs and we broke it down to crunchy or creamy. So we really went to the whole peanut butter avenue. It was really yeah. kind of great. It was the top 25 songs of the <laughs> yeah. 1991, I think. Yeah. Like top billboard songs. So, right. um, Dave, what about you? Do you have a do you have a song that you want to bring up? Is there a certain certain one that you recognize or? Yeah, well, love? you know, it. Being, you know, the kid of the 1980s, you know, born in the 70s, but, you know, raised in the 80s, you know, I a lot of my influence was MTV. So I have to discuss, you know, what Van Halen brought to, you know, the table in the MTV generation was, you know, we had sex cells and, you know, Van Halen did that to us with Hot for Teacher. So if you can remember this video, oh yeah, you know that you know yeah at that time released in '84, you know you know at this point I would have been 13 years old, and that's everything you know this you know little young boy would ever want to see, you know is that Hopper teacher video, and you know I couldn't get enough of him, you know, and it was the spectacle that was David Lee Roth, you know that really made that you know what it was. And, you know, Chris, when you were talking earlier, it's like I never really even considered him a good looking guy. I don't you know, I don't I don't know if he is or not, you know, but, you know, it was just so interesting to be, you know, to think of him that way. But he was very flamboyant with the way that, you know, being the spectacle and the showman that he is. Uh, And, you know, you saw that in those videos. And, you know, like I said, hot for teacher, you know, that, you know, when I was a teenage boy and, you know, there was actually a teacher in my younger grade school years that I had a crush on. And that was, you know, you know, suddenly reminded me of everything, you know, those memories. Uh, so I love that song. So I, I had to bring it up here. Uh, that's a good, no, that's a good pick. Um, I, and you're right about the MTV thing. And that's something I didn't even like occur to me to talk about tonight um, <clears throat> was the influence that, they had on MTV as well. Right. Not only in the rock and roll industry from, you know, before MTV, but once MTV hit, they were making very fun, crazy videos. I mean, look at Panama. They're flying all over the stage on, you know, on, uh, on wires and stuff, just getting nuts. And And the other thing about, you know, sex sells and them, you know, California girls, another great video. (laughs) You know, uh, now that you know, was just... that was David Lee Roth, though. That was after Van Halen. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> right. Yeah. So actually, I got something to say about the MTV. I remember when Jump came out and I remember yeah. re- I remember reading this back then 
that everybody else was spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on videos. They spent like 400 bucks and like 200 it was on beer. And they <laughs> shot that video. That, they just did it with a black, you know, backdrop and they just jammed on it a few times. And that, that was, if you go back and watch that video, it's jump. the most simple. Yeah, Jim, yeah. it's jump. It's the most simple video that you'll ever see. And it was, at the time, it was one of the most popular ones on MTV. And I mean, I, I do remember them shortly after it came out talking about how much they spent on it and how ridiculously low budget it was, yet it was so popular. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that, okay. I have a problem with Jump. It's like my least favorite song by Van Halen. And I, I can't listen to it. <laughs> but it's their only number one hit. It actually hit the number one spot for Bill, you know, on the billboards. I can't remember what year it was. It had to be 84 or 85 when it was released. But um, it's you're right. The video is very simple. If you if you I remember it. I can remember what it looks like. They did a lot of slow mo stuff with David k- kicking and whatnot. And yep. Um, just I just didn't get the draw to that song. Though. See, a little bit too see, here's the me. thing. Here's what happened with the jump video is they had two years between Diver Down and 1984. Mm-hmm. And as a musician, you really have to fill your time because idle, idle time off the road is bad things happen. So <laughs> what we saw in the jump video is or in some of the later videos for 1984 we saw that david lee roth took up um martial arts eddie van halen discovered a keyboard um michael anthony got into the whiskey making business because that's when he started with the jack daniels bass and all that kind of stuff which he would later do again with sammy with the tequila and all that stuff and um alex was also into like eastern uh, medicine and, and things. So it's like, it's like that video was basically like, like Derek said, it's like a black backdrop at their <laughs> rehearsal studio that they just put like black walls up and did that. And you just, you saw all the stuff that they've been doing for two years to take up three and a half minutes to make a video. Like these are all the hobbies that we discovered. Yeah. And it was the simplest, stupidest video. Like when everyone else was doing all these amazing cartoons and like cgi started like you know all that kind of stuff and this was just the simplest thing probably one of my least favorite songs jump like uh it's too much keyboard but the solo is really good so that's that's the eddie part is the one of the forgotten things in that song with all the other stuff going on was eddie played an incredible solo in that song which i mean he played a lot of incredible solos but the break that happens after the keyboards and then into his solo, that's like a really quintessential Eddie Van Halen solo. So like, that's the only listenable part to that song to me is Eddie's solo. Hmm. Otherwise it's like I, I would skip it. I, I, I have no desire to listen to jump whatsoever. So, um, the day, you know, the day that he passed last week, um, you know, Chrissy and I, first of all, just busted out the all the Van Halen stuff that we could listen to, and we were just going through song after song, sitting around having a couple couple drinks, and and I'm like, you know, we really should 
talk about this on the podcast. She's like, you, you must, you have to, because it's one of Chrissy's all time favorite bands. Like just Van Halen in general through the years has been one of her favorites. And she's told this, this specific story on um, one of our previous podcasts about concerts, how she was, she tried to, she, her and Tina who lives down here in our area, um, went to and stood in line at like in February in Chicago at like a Ticketron and it was the middle of the night and one of their boyfriends bought brought them soup and all this stuff. So but they get the the tickets go on sale and they get almost almost all the way to the doors and they sold out. So that was the for the uh which album did she say that was for? I think it was 1984. So she uh, then later on, once we David Lee Roth reunited with the band, we were able to see them with Chris and and your wife Rosetta, uh, which was that was a good show. Uh, wait, wait, you guys were there, right? Yeah, it was us and Mike and Tina. Chris. I don't remember. I no, don't think I was there. No, that was not right. I, that was Mike and Tina. We went. That was before I met you guys. I apologize. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Since we've been down here, you know, we've only seen a couple shows. So, uh, anyway. So yeah, Chrissy was uh, saying that you know her favorites. I was asking her what her favorites would be if she was going to jump in on this, and she would say, obviously, Eruption is something that's important. Uh, Cathedral is one of her other favorites. And then one that is really hard to pronounce off of the balance album. And it's just Eddie playing, uh, Bal- You guys know that one? <laughs> I know the song. I, I, I couldn't pronounce it either. Yeah, I can't pronounce it. So anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't because I don't recognize anything past 1984. Oh, that's right. You're one of them. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't recognize anything past that. Okay. I don't recognize that. So this is where Chris kind of gets, he's, he's different from Derek and myself as far as opinions of Sammy. Uh, Dave, real quick, how did you feel about the transition from Dave Lee Roth to Sammy Hagar? Or did you pay attention? (laughs) <laughs> to that because i know you were like not into that type of music so yeah i i mean not predominantly no uh and actually even to this day i don't even know why did david lee roth leave did do we know um well i feel like i should know this yeah you know uh, david lee roth has a very uh very big ego and and so does eddie they they both had very big personalities, and I think I, I think from what I've heard, it sounds like they were just too much to be together. Um, there's too much. There was just too not enough not enough stage to go around for both of them. Apparently, got it. Uh, Derek and, and Chris, was, if you guys if it, you guys know anything also, about that, jump in and and say something because I don't know enough about it. There was a lot of musical differences just from the musical part um david wanted kind of more showman stuff and and doing things like he really wanted to release that what was that little ep he had that had california girls on it and all that stuff 
Yeah. Uh, crazy and, from the heat. Right. And yeah. Crazy from the heat. Is that it? Or is what? Yeah. I don't know. What, that's, anyway, that's it. Yeah. That's the one he that... wanted to, he wanted to branch out. He wanted to do that. He wanted to make those songs on a Van Halen album. And, um, the, the, the legend, whether it actually happened or came down was that David Lee Roth wanted to put this on, the next album he wanted to do songs like this he wanted to be much more commercial and eddie was having nothing to do with it and david lee roth said you know well i am van halen and that was after the videos and dave tv remember dave tv oh yeah when definitely. he hosted you know like a couple hours on mtv and he got a taste of that life he got a taste of that thing where he was the man he was the the showpiece and you know eddie just said, you know, I, I don't understand how you can say that you are Van Halen. It's my fucking last name. Like, so <laughs> you're not Van Halen. And, you know, that was just two parts of, of you can. I, and I think to some extent, like as much as like Dave was saying with the MTV stuff is like, that's where the sex sells and all that stuff. That was also the death of Van Halen because David Lee Roth wanted that lifestyle. He wanted to be he wanted to be David Lee Roth band. And of course, it was never going to be that like, you know, Eddie and Alex were the main songwriters and it, it just wasn't going to be. So like that was just that was just a part where somebody wanted to do something different. And the other part of the band didn't want to do something different. And it was just never going to work ego wise, uh, material wise, songwriting wise. It was just never, never going to happen. And how lucky is it, too, for a guy like David Lee Roth, who has let's face it, minimal great singing talent voice-wise, vocally, um, to play with two guys like Eddie Van Halen and, and eventually Steve Vai, maybe two of the top three or four metal virtuoso guitar players ever. Like, if, if that's not a stroke of aiding your career to play with two guys like that. That's yeah. Yeah, pretty well. good on him. When uh, when Edom and Smile came out or was coming out, and I heard that David Lee Roth hooked up with Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan and oh, I can't remember the drummer's name, but it was a super group. It was great. Like thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was going to be a, a a super group. I mean, you you expected a lot of stuff from it, but uh, I think David Lee Roth's ego still got a little bit in the way of that one. Anyway, but we'll go back to. Um, Let's go back to the question, though. I, yeah. I, I do want to I didn't address it. Um, and, you know, I wasn't trying to get all political there because, you know, <laughs> I'm avoiding the question, um, you know, and, and there's no fly on my head right now. But, oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> sorry, dude. Did I go there? I'm wow. sorry. Um, but no, uh, you know, to answer the question, um, I have a preference for the David years over the Sammy years. Really? OK. That, yeah, that's good to know. And Derek. Uh, where do you stand on the David versus Sammy? Uh, I I don't know that I can give you a definitive answer. I mean, to me, there are two completely different vibes and sounds to me. Um, I've gravitated more towards Sammy over the last decade of my life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, probably just because of I. It might just be more of a personality thing of what what Sammy's been doing with his career and life, as opposed to Dave, but. Um, and also, I, I guess maybe I just I uh, those the sound that old Van Halen sound to me is just an older sound and it's different, but they're they're totally different. So if you made me pick one, 
I'd pick Sammy, but uh, I wouldn't do it definitively. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough decision because they they did they changed like I said earlier in the show they changed their sound from one one singer to the next. They definitely changed 100%. the way they feel the, the the sound that they projected. So, um, uh, all right. So, what is? Let's see. Somebody else can bring us a uh, like a song that that had a, uh, something memorable for them. What do you think, Chris? You want to? You got another song in in mind? Um. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go pretty generic. I'm sure everyone knows this is one of their goods, but the uh, not only the song, but the intro to Unchained mm-hmm. was that's pretty quintessential Van Halen song, and that that intro to Unchained again, it's a little chunkier than. You know a lot of their songs, a lot of their stuff. So that's kind of why, again, I, I gravitate towards that. But um, the song itself is just a fun song. It's just a great song lyrically, the way it's composed, the intro, everything like that. It's just a fantastic song. And and fair warning seems to sometimes be like the forgotten Van Halen album, besides maybe Unchained. You know, Mean Streets, kind of a dirty, gritty kind of song, and. Uh, it's, it kind of gets lost in that shuffle of their album. So I like to point that because I think it's a fantastic album because it was, you know, Van Halen one, Van Halen two, women and children first kind of got a little popular because if you remember, um, everybody wants some was in a movie mm-hmm. in the mid eighties. So that better was, off you dead. know, better off dead. It was in that mm-hmm. scene. So, um, but fair warning just seems to be like that's that's one of my favorite songs, especially just because of Eddie's part. The 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 intro to Unchained is really, really cool. And then the, the rhythm part that he plays through it, you don't think about it because you're listening to the song. But as a musician, when you start to peel away the layers of the song and you just focus on what he's playing through the rhythm section, like it's it's mind boggling. I mean, yeah. it's just—it's like all these hammer-ons and pull-offs, and it's—it's uh, it's incredible. Okay, wait. But, you said hammer-ons and pull-offs. D- explain that a little bit, because I—not a mu- not being a musician. Now, Derek, you're going to understand this a little bit better because you play guitar. Well, Derek's uh, more. Yeah, than I have no idea why you're interrupting to ask that question. That seems weird. What? <laughs> 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 Scott, please just—we know take nothing a about these Google. things. Maybe Take under at the, so at the bottom of the podcast online, can you put like links to pictures of hammer-ons and pull-offs, like examples? Sure. Yeah, do diagrams. Or That'll happen. Like that. All right, <laughs> I'll get right on that. But anyway, it's a technical. <laughs> it's a technical part where you're hammering your finger on the fretboard, or a pull-off is where you, when you release the note with your left hand, it, you're you're basically pulling off the string. So it's like a pull-off. That's okay. it's. It's hard to describe. You just okay. I think I, I think a good way to say it is you're making a note ring out without picking it. You're right. You're, exactly. you're doing it. With, you're doing it with your left hand as opposed to your right hand yeah. and, and picking picking the string. You're you're pressing your left hand against the fretboard that makes a sound. Or you're, oh my gosh. You're, okay. You're I, taking I, your finger off. Right. And makes a sound. So I'm what just, I'm hearing you guys say is it's two by four, two by five, whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. Two twenty, two twenty one, whatever. Yeah, it takes. Exactly. Right. Oh my god! But yeah, so that would be that would be 
uh, again, another song that if I was going to go to play Van Halen after DOA, like Unchained is always one of those first five. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up. this. I'm glad you brought this album up because it's one of my favorite. It's actually probably my favorite album by them. Um, I love Mean Streets. Uh, that's a great freaking song. That's got another great intro in it too. Yeah. Um, Dirty movies, cre- good sinner swing. The whole album is just amazing. It's and, completely listenable from front to back. Yes. It's got a really cool instrumental, the Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. The party. And and it's got like this song, Push Comes to Shove, mm. which is really bluesy kind of that's got laid such a back great song. It's such a great bass groove. I love playing that song. Like it's just such a great difference of music from Van Halen. So I, I just like Fair Warning was always one of my favorite albums and like Unchained for me is that one and mean street is a great great song gritty kind of la street song like you forget that these guys are from la like right. they're from the sunset strip they're from that drug and alcohol infused lifestyle of the strip back in the late 70s and early 80s like they were it was they were... every it was everything that was happening in studio 54 without the lights and glamour it was just happening in the gutter like it was all the same stuff. It was, and and that's why I say they're so influential because these teenagers that were going to see them, like Vince Neil, Tommy Lee, all these guys from from that started the L.A. scene, they're the epicenter. Mm-hmm. Van Halen in the late '70s became the epicenter of what became the L.A. glam scene. Absolutely, like everything from there. So that's you know a whole different sideline to what Van Halen meant to music, not just Eddie and all the stuff, but that puddle that they started in started, you know, everything else that happened in that, that LA sunset strip scene. Like those were the dudes, you know, everyone wanted to be Van Halen and everyone wanted to party like Van Halen, notoriously partiers. Yeah, they could, they could tie one on, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, mean, bet I, could, to, I bet I could not keep up with them. Like Eddie uh, even said in an interview, he's like he started drinking and smoking when he was like 11 or 12. Yeah. Like that was just the lifestyle back then. That's where he was. It was I mean, he was in his first band in fourth grade. Like it, that was it, when when you find somebody that was born to do what they did and they did it and they found it and they were successful at it. Like that's. That's everything Eddie Van Halen was. He was born to be a musician. He was born to be a great musician and he found it and he did it and he lived it. Like he, he's a a tremendous success story, especially being an immigrant that barely spoke English um, at a young age to, to come to the country and move here. And his father was a musician. So he had music in him with Alex. And I think the story was that the irony was that, Eddie played drums and Alex played guitar when they first started. Right. Before they actually formed the band. Before they actually formed the band. That's what I had heard. Alex was terrible. Alex was terrible on guitar, but was, but played drums. And then uh, thank God Eddie didn't play drums, which I'm sure he would be a great drummer, but thank God he picked up a guitar because later in the world, he, he changed so much. I mean, just imagine for one second if Eddie never picked up a guitar. 
I can't like, imagine the number of bands that might have not have. I can't imagine the I I can't imagine the L.A. music scene and the L.A. heavy metal scene being the same. Like yeah. I can't imagine that happening to the way that it did because Van Halen was maybe the hugest part or huge part of even starting that. So, yeah. and they influenced so many other bands, uh, so many other are artists and musicians just in their early years to to go and pick up a guitar you know people that yeah. that came later on that, you know the first thing they that they go back to is like well i heard eruption and i'm like i have to play that you know or, or mm-hmm. learn to try to play that and although i i have no idea i don't play at all so i don't know how hard that is do you guys can either because uh, so Dave you don't play guitar I don't play guitar Chris plays bass but he also plays guitar right Yep and then Derek you play you you play guitar as well so between the two of you Chris and Derek can either of you play Eruption or or come close to it uh, So so actually I I wrote down a couple of notes before we did this thing and one of them was. Uh, I went away to college and that's when I really learned how to play guitar because I didn't go to class and I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast because, <laughs> but I, all I did was play guitar and drink beer and skipped class. But so anyway, I, I when I left my house, uh, to go to college, I couldn't, I could play some chords and some very simple songs and my, my brother and my mother just despised it. And then I came back after a semester and I could fumble my way through eruption like you could tell that that's what i was playing however it any guitar player would be like dude <laughs> that's that's not quite it but um but so at one point i i wouldn't say that i ha- could ever play it but i could mimic it and i could do parts of it uh successfully but um the the, the more intricate parts of it i never i could never do and and, and i've seen so many people uh, play that song and cover it, and yeah, they're hitting the notes properly and all that, but it's it's not the same. It's just it not the same. You yeah, can't replicate his hit. There's something about the way that his fingers touched that fretboard and and just the sound that he got out of his guitar yeah. that was so different than everybody else. And I remember reading or hearing something about Ted Nugent um, doing. I think I think they I, think, I want to say Van Halen opened up for Ted Nugent back in like the late '70s or something, and um, Ted had heard Eddie play and he, and he went up and he wanted to play like Eruption or play something through his through Eddie's rig. And he grabbed Eddie's guitar and played it. And he was like, it just sounds like me. It sounds like Ted Nugent. And then Eddie grabbed Ted's guitar later and it sounded like Eddie Van Halen. And they were both, you know, especially Ted. He was like, what are you doing? Are you turning off some kind of effects pedal? What's going on? How come I can't sound like you? And it's just the way that that dude's fingers uh, melded with that guitar and I mean I've never seen a guitar player that uh, the guitar looked like it was part of his body it looked so comfortable and effortless and I mean I, I'm still to this day I've been watching a bunch of videos on YouTube and stuff over the last couple of days and I mean the, the way that that guitar sits in his hands and on his body and how smooth his fingers are on it, it just blows my mind. It really, I feel like I'm trying so hard <laughs> when I'm playing guitar, and I watch him do it, and it, it it's just effortless. And it's, it, I love it. I love it. 
Yeah, effortless is a good word to describe some of these some of these musicians. And and uh, we were over at a friend's house yesterday, and we we had some of the videos going on on in the background, and a lot of concert videos were coming up. And it does it looks it looks like it's just like part of his. It's an extension of his body, really. Um, it is, and that's that's what like the great players will will do that's that's just it when it becomes <clears throat> like derek said it's i mean eddie has his own sound because mm. of the the equip the equipment that he uses and things like that like it's different it's the the frankenstrat guitar and um how he would uh put paraffin on his pickups so they wouldn't feed back like he was an innovator in a lot of different ways the way that he had his guitar and his tremolo set up his the way his pickups were placed the type of pickups he used um it, just lots of different things but he was also like like derek said he, he could pick up anyone's guitar on anyone's rig no matter what and he would sound like eddie and that's all just touch and feel and technique like <clears throat> him for him he, he cites, obviously, Eric Clapton as being a very early influence of his, but Clapton is also a very sloppy player. He's just kind of a, a sloppy, bluesy player. And I don't mean sloppy in a bad way. I mean, that's kind of blues music is just a little sloppy with the fingers, with the pick and things like that. But And also um, Jimmy Page. And yeah. I think he took the best of – and Page was also from that British blues background – with Jeff Beck and in that group of guitar players that influenced probably Eddie's generation. And he took some of that technique, some of that sound and definitely added to it. But what he, what he also added was precision and timing. So he took a lot of what he was influenced by those great guitar players. And he added a virtuosity to it, a technique to it. And it's it's not a repeatable pattern. Like if you say, do you know anyone that can play that can play? Yeah, I know one guy, Eddie Van Halen. I know one person. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people that will make great attempts at it. I know a lot of people who could buy the same amp, play the same guitar with the same pickup and the same effects, and they'll never sound like him. Huh. And, and and rightfully so. You won't sound like Jimmy Page. You won't sound like anybody. You're not going to sound like Eddie. He just you know, I think Jimmy Page later in the 80s, um, after when he kind of made his comeback uh, after Led Zeppelin, and he had some videos, and I can't remember, I don't even remember what the name of the band he was in. Oh, well, I, I like Station. I don't remember. No, anyway, that was, um, that was Robert. Not Robert. That was Robert Plant. Palmer. Uh, anyway, Robert Palmer. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. No, no. Page, Page, and Coverdale did an album in the '90s, which was amazing. Well, pa- but, well, yeah. But Jimmy Page came back in the in the early '80s also with the band. Yeah. It was, uh, but in any case, the firm. Um, the firm. There you go. Yeah. But, like Jimmy yeah. Page even <laughs> said, like I can't play like Eddie Van Halen. I and I don't want to. Yeah. It's like I'll I'll make a fool out of myself. I can't do that. I you know I I don't want to be that. That's not me. And he's like, the only person that should ever play that is Eddie Van Halen, because he's the only one that's ever going to make it sound like that. So yeah. for me, like, like uh, you know the famous part in, in Wayne's World where the sign that says no stairway <laughs> yeah. in the no in stairway, the music yeah. store? Uh-huh. No stairway. 
there should be another one right underneath that that says no eruption. Like you (laughs) shouldn't be allowed to do that. You should just leave it alone. Like practice on it, what have you. Don't go into a music store and plug in a guitar and attempt to play eruption because you're just going to embarrass yourself. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't know. I've never really tried to pick up a guitar, although I've been – I've been told I should just because I have such a passion for music and the love of all this, you know, I can teach you. Guitar. We, we could probably teach you smoke on the water in about five minutes. Come on. I literally, I literally was going to say the same exact thing right there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, now I'm trying to think if we were going to teach you a Van Halen song, what's, what is the most simple Van Halen riff to teach somebody? Oh, good and I don't, there. I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I have it right off the top of my head, but I'm throwing it out there. How about three sixteen? Yeah. No, that's not simple. My, my, I guess my first that's thought absolute, would be that's absolutely not simple. <laughs> I would say maybe running with the devil. There's that little just intro riff is pretty straightforward. Yeah, um, yeah. but there's dun, not. Dun, that's that's the funny thing. There's not dun, many Van Halen dun, riffs that you can just teach. A beginner right off the bat. Those, those no. are more advanced songs. They are. And a, and a lot of them also just because they start out with Eddie's intro. They really and do. Like a lot. A lot of the songs have a an amazing intro. I, we were, we were, I was listening to Van Halen most of the day. And I just had on shuffle of, of all the main albums. And, and there were so many that came up where there was like just this awesome intro. You're like, well, yep. Damn, I mean that's like it, it hooks you right away, and you—that's what he did, man. That's yeah. that's that was how he did it. All right, so actually, so we're back on that list again. Let's mm-hmm. let's all name another song or another intro or another you know intro riff that well, I, thought was awesome. I, I just want to close out a thought because Scott, you're underselling my talent just a little bit. I have been what? in a rock band. Okay. Now, obviously, it was on the Wii. But yes, <laughs> you know, so I still yeah, remember the colors, yeah. you know, yes. orange, uh, green, red, blue. Yeah. So, uh, you know, no, I didn't that? do any Van Halen songs, but yeah. You I, know I what, like Derek, Der- we probably could teach him the intro to You Really Got Me. That's yes. a pretty easy one, too. That would be good. Now, that's. I wonder how hard is it to play Eruption on Rock Band? Ah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, What what level would you have to be, right? (laughs) (laughs) I have a story about playing that rock band thing. It's and it's it's I hate I hate that game. You hate that game. You hate it. Playing the game. I hate that game. I absolutely hate that game. You know why I hate that game? Why? Why? I hate rock band because when I'm playing the song and I know the song, I play faster than the game because I know the notes coming. Oh. Ah, and I always miss the color mark because I'm ahead of the game. I'm 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 ahead of the song. I'm already anticipating what the next five notes are just in my head because I know the song, and I and I I play faster than the game, and I always sucked at that game. And here I am, like I've played on stage, and and I I get, I get beat by a nine year old. Because because he knows how to play the game. I'm playing the song in my mind like I have an actual bass in my hand and I'm like missing all the marks. Hmm. And I did not beat up a nine year old, although I was very tempted. 
<laughs> All right, so back to Derek. Derek's bringing bringing back up the uh, the next like uh, favorite riffs. Um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here and mention one of mine, and this is a little bit later. It's not actually an intro, but um, the guitar solo for the song "Source of Infection." I heard that mm-hmm. today, and I haven't heard that song in a long time. And he. Eddie freaking tears it up on that solo. Yeah. And I I was just I was like, wow, I totally forgot about this song. It's off of uh, I think it's OU812. Yep. And um just such a great freaking unusual you know, something that you just don't hear ever on the radio. I don't think I've ever heard Source of Infection on the radio. It was on my shuffle list. And yep. and I'm just like, man, he's just tearing it up. So, uh, are you guys familiar with that one? Oh yeah, great song. Yeah, it's uh, underrated in my opinion for some of yep. some of the songs. I I agree. And I find that a lot of the you know Van Halen songs um, that make radio play are like the weakest of of the albums, you know. I think I mean maybe weakest is a harsh word. I, I, I think they're and, they're and, less and, interesting to me. Like some of the, okay, the deeper good. cuts I, have 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 more um, interest and a, a little bit more complexity to them. I think mm-hmm. you know what I mean. But um, I mean the, the the songs they put on the radio are great. They're catchy and they're great. But the ones that haven't been on there tend to be my favorites as well. But it's, I think it's just because they're a little. Some of them are a little darker too. Um, but they're also just more intricate and there's just more more to it yeah chris do you know source of infection the the solo i'm talking about uh, no yeah you no, have to go I back and no listen idea. to it sometime it's it's pretty is that on a, is that on a van hagar album oh that's right you don't like <laughs> yeah i would not i would like so like uh, pound cake i like that song like on as far as like a van hagar album i like pound cake I thought well, that they, was a cool song. And the intro to that uh, is very unique. Is he's got the drill, you know, voo, voo, the yep. sound that nobody had ever done that I know yep. of. Mm, that's not true. Okay, that I know of. So now you just stole the. I just tried to start that conversation a minute ago. I think our, <laughs> our our intros, and that was mine. And now I got to cross it off my list because no, no awesome. go ahead. I'm what? sorry, I didn't mean to steal it. Well, it's already stolen now. Pound cake. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, because that was that was genius with the drill thing. I mean, when I heard it on the radio, I was like, I, I, it sounded kind of like a drill. We were like, it's not a drill. And then you watch the video and you saw. And then actually, the funniest part about that was the video he had taped up or painted up his drill to look like the Frankenstein guitar and had yeah, the red, the white stripes on it on 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 the, on, the, on, the dr- on the drill itself, the cordless drill. That was classic. That was classic. Yeah. So that that guitar. Let's talk about his guitar. I mean, he had the the it was iconic, right? And the, oh, yeah. the red, the red, white, and black, the stripes all over it and stuff. It was just it was something that was that's Eddie's guitar. Everybody knows that that that's his style. That's his thing. Um, yeah. I I was dating this girl back in this is right out of high school, and she worked at a uh, a record store. And they had a, you know, dress like your favorite musician at the time. And she was just in love with Eddie at back then. And so we, we made this cardboard cutout of a guitar and we put, we, you know, painted it red. And then we put all this 
the white and black uh, electrical tape in different areas and made it look just like the the guitar. And uh, she she was a big hit at at the music at the record store just for that look. <laughs> she pulled it off, so it was good. So yeah, that that guitar was something special. And um, I know a lot of people. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Facebook and and um, I think it was just Facebook. People are changing their have changed their you know profile picture to a picture of the guitar, uh, Eddie's guitar, just for a few days or whatever. So, yeah, it's, he definitely had such huge influence. It's probably on... the ugly. It's probably the ugliest, most famous guitar <laughs> that there is. Yeah, and it's a complete. And it's it, there's no parts on it that are meant to go together. Like right. Yeah, that's why they call it. They call it the Frankenstein because he Frankenstein like the body. And I just, I literally just saw an interview with him the other night when I was watching. He he paid like fifty bucks for the body. He paid like sixty bucks for the neck. And then he bought all the parts and just like he kind of turned into a guitar tech, like like a a builder. He built that Hmm. thing and he and he he figured out how to do it. And it didn't look like I mean, it didn't look right, but it sounded right. And he sounded godly <laughs> yeah yeah and he was always after that tone and that and he he called himself like a tone chaser which i i mean i've played guitar for years but i'm i'm not that at all but um he he was always messing with the parts to the guitar the parts to the amp the parts to the preamp everything he was constantly looking for yeah. different tones yeah and the body the like the body was a fender strat body the neck was a kramer neck and the pickups were i think there was like a a demarzio pickup in there and like uh a floyd rose tremolo that like like none of that stuff should have gone together it just he just he put it together and tinkered with it enough like said just to finally get the sound and the playability because he liked the stratocaster body because they were cheap and they would fit three pickups so you could get more sound the kramer neck slid faster than the Stratocaster neck and it had larger frets so he could do the technique that he needed to do and be faster on the neck. So it's like, it was all technically sound what he was thinking, it, but just how he put it all together to formulate this, what later became obviously one of the most iconic guitars in rock history. Like, if yep. you, I mean, you put that up there, you instantly recognize who it is, what it is, and why it is. And so it, yeah, it was, he always seemed to be a very technical as far as like a technician, like, like you said, like a tone chaser, like a sound chaser. Right. And he turned, he turned turned into the mad scientist in the basement uh, building that thing. That's that's kind of what he turned into. And his amps too, like his amps, his, the way that he did different things with his tubes, and uh, for the preamp and the power amp tubes and how he would get like this much hotter sound because he would change the way that the tubes were wired. Like he got into this whole almost electrician vibe, like I'm going to find the tone that I want. And then later, many years later, when he came out with his EVH line of PV, uh, like amps and, and speaker cabinets and stuff, like they were so crisp and so beautifully made for tone like it really rivaled the great marshall amps that he used i mean all of his career and 
when he came out with that EVH line, there was a lot of musicians that went to those because when you went to the music store to play on them, you just, you couldn't, the tone and the sound that they generated was so much different than anything on the market. Like I think a lot of people bought those amps when he first came out with his own line of amps with PV, which he played a lot of PV stuff in his career too. So, and that's a whole technical side of Eddie that a lot of people don't know, like how much he would constantly refine his sound and like in tone chaser is exactly the way to put it because it, it was never what he wanted. Like he huh. was always chasing something different. And to us, it's like, well, it sounds perfect, but to him in his ear, how refined his musical ear was and how he heard it in his head and he wanted it to come out of the amp. He was always chasing that perfect note, like his whole career he was always chasing that perfect tone, the perfect note, I, whether I ever found it or not, who knows? But, you know, sometimes artists like that, they never find it because you can't duplicate what's in your head. You know, it sounds perfect in your head. It's hard to get it to do that. But he, he became that like mad scientist, like you said. And, and that's a that's a, a very unknown part of Eddie and his brown sound which is his kind of tone um, that, that he called it. That's an unknown side of just how technical he was with his equipment and untechnical at the same time, because he'd throw parts that he had in a bin together. And all of a sudden this just guitar appeared that sounded like it was touched by the gods. It's alive. It's yeah, alive. Sort of. In a way. Yeah. In, in a way, in a very, in, in a very real way. Absolutely. That's right. that was almost <laughs> what he was accomplishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I mean, there's no doubt, no doubt that um, he's had a huge influence in many, many different ways. Um, let's. But the funny, but yeah. real quick, but the funny part also is that's actually brought to life in a video. At the end of the Hot for Teacher video, when they showed where they were now. Eddie was in a straitjacket. Uh huh. And that was kind of his thing. He was that mad scientist, that crazy person that was the artist that was the crazy. Like, that wasn't too far from. Like, I always pictured Eddie as being one of those guys that was like one foot away from, from being crazy. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. I see it. there's a lot of people that have very high intelligence and certain talents. Um, that you know, almost savant like, that yeah. that end up just on the edge of crazy. So yeah, it's uh, he he definitely he was he was a very unique guitar player, and he he had a sound all to his own, like we said. Um, do we have another Dave? Do you have anything else to add on this one? Do you want to? Do you have another song in mind that? comes to mind for you well, the the one that you guys kind of dissed on a little earlier we um just today i was in the car and um like i said i listen to spotify and i actually what i do is when i have a band that i like i'll bring up what's called the radio uh version of that band so today i put on def leopard and we're listening to you know Intermixed with Def Leppard songs was also other songs around, you know, that genre. 
And there was a lot of Van Halen songs that were mixed in with Def Leppard Radio on Spotify, which I thought was really, you know, really great and apropos for our discussion today. But I got really into hearing Jump today. And so it was just, it was a lot of fun for me. It was a lot of great memories of, you know, I remember the simple video. And, you know, it's a song to sing along with, you know, and it's, you know, remembering the bygone, early, you know, easy days of the 1980s. And, you know, to me, that's what that song was. It's not, you know, so I've never not liked that song. Hmm. Uh, so I know you guys gave it a little bit of hell a little earlier, but, you know, to me, it's just, you know, you know, it goes along with the, you know, the MTV you know, videos and generation and the top popular songs that were out back then. And, you know, jump was showcased and all of that. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've Scott's already, like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm, I never really cared for that song much. And I appreciate that now you're a few years younger and it was, uh, it, was probably a little more influential where some of us that have been listening a little bit longer to Van Halen, that we had a different take on Van Halen when jump came out. So I think that the kind of, that might have something to do with it, but yeah, right. overall, but I, I, everybody has their own taste in music and the timing is timing of songs coming out is very important uh, in a person's life. And it can either spin it in a negative way or a positive way. So if you love jump, that's great, man. I, I just <laughs> I, I have a hard time listening to it myself. Um, but yeah, no. But yeah, I mean it's the same thing. I know you love Lamal. I'm not you know, that big not, of a fan. I so. never said that. I love Lamal. <laughs> Do you guys know who Lamal is, you, Chris? You, you said you celebrated his whole catalog, is what you told me. So. Do you guys know who no, Lamal is? I no, I have no idea. Okay. Never well, end these story? Come on. Should I? Okay. The, you the remember, guy that's you remember the band? Story. You remember the member of the band Kaja Gugo? Mm, I mean, I remember that name. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Too shy was the name of the song. The lead singer for that went on his own, and he's just Lamal, and um, yeah, he sang one song just for a movie. That movie, Never Ending Story. I, I don't. I, Oh my! I dropped the name once, just as a joke, and Dave will not <laughs> let me live it down. All right, uh, so now, Scott, yeah. Scott, since you have such a problem with jump, yes, let me ask you. Let me ask you another question. Do, do you have a problem with Eddie playing uh, "Beat It" on Michael Jackson's album? Actually, actually, I don't have a problem with it. Um, so when they announces announced it the other day that he had passed the the two things that were brought up on like the news flash or whatever were they they were playing jump in the background and they also mentioned oh and he also played for michael jackson and i'm like and that just seems so so it, it seems so it, random and obscure yeah and it's see, not accurate at all. I mean, he, he didn't play for Michael Jackson. I just, I literally just watched this the other night. He, yeah. Case Jones, who was producing that album, okay. called Eddie up and is like, hey, can, I don't even think Michael was like in the room or even around. And he walked in and Casey, he did it as a favor and came over and hung out. And he, I think they put the 
like put the track on and Eddie like kind of jammed on it for a minute. And then he like, he's like, Hey, can I like rearrange this a little bit? And they're like, sure. And then and he kind of changed some stuff. He played two solos and they picked. So then they ended up rearranging the song like Eddie wanted and then took one of those two solos. And that's what's on there. It's wow. that he was there for, he, he was there for 30 minutes. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I did not yeah, know and the, that until I just heard now. that. Yeah, I heard that back uh, that same and part of the other yeah, part of that. That's absolutely what happened. It was a call from Quincy Jones. It had nothing to do with Michael. Michael had no idea Eddie was even there. Right. Um, walked in after the fact and they actually walked kind of out together. Like they took a few pictures together. But I think when the way it was described is when Eddie walked, when Michael Jackson walked into the studio, Eddie looked at him and he said, I just changed your song. And walked out. Like it wasn't this giant collaboration that was predestined and like Michael had zero idea this was even happening. Yep. <laughs> like the <laughs> beat it and funny. the beat it and the beat it song up until then, the way that Eddie changed it um, to how it ended up on the radio is that beat it in itself. That song was kind of up until that point from what Quincy Jones said, a throwaway song on the album. But the way it was rearranged and how Eddie did the solo and they changed some other parts in the song afterward to sort of fit the vibe, it became the beat it that we knew. But that was kind of like a throwaway song. Like that was like on an album, like that's track number eight that people may listen to it. Maybe they won't. Who knows? But when he changed it, yeah, and that was that's absolutely correct. I, I and that has been something that a lot of people don't know. Like this was some sort of prearranged thing where Eddie, you know, where Michael called Eddie and said, "I want you to play on my song." It absolutely nothing to do with that. There's absolutely nothing to do with that. That's really didn't even know, didn't even know he was there until it was over. Yeah, <clears throat> that's really interesting because um, I do like I like the sound that Eddie put out there on that song beat it i mean we've all heard it we were all you know we're all uh, of the 80s we've heard beat it a million times and we know that eddie was you know jamming with that and and i appreciate that song for him being on it and it's got a good sound to it it really does Uh, but if you didn't if you didn't if I didn't already know that was Eddie Van Halen playing that solo, mm-hmm. I could have heard it for the first time and said, that's Eddie Van Halen. Yep. And that yep. can't be, that can't be anyone else besides Eddie Van Halen. Like you could have told me it's 10 different guitar players. I'd have called you a liar straight to your face. That's Eddie Van Halen. There's no yeah. way you cannot misconstrue that playing with anyone else. Like uh-huh. if I would have never known for 25 years and I heard the song for the very first time, I was like, that's Eddie. That's Eddie. True. Yeah, that's that's where I fall fall short is uh, the musical ear, the musician's ear, uh, being able to pick up stuff like that. I mean, I know everybody has a signature sound. I know that I can pick out when Satriani is playing or Steve Vai is playing. Um, and I mean, I I only know Eddie Eddie from Van Halen for all those years, except for uh, when Twister came out the movie Twister, you know, he did some of the guitar work on that. And they even had a, a song in there, a uh, human's being, which I think that soundtrack actually gets a little bit, uh, discredited 
it doesn't get enough credit, I should say, for uh, Eddie being part of that soundtrack because there's some cool intro and outro music in that movie that Eddie is just playing this weird kind of ethereal groove guitar solo. And he's just like, you know, he's singing with his guitar, you know, it goes back to the, uh, uh, the old Beatles song or was it George Harrison, George Harrison by himself. Uh, what? While my guitar gently weeps or something like that. Anyway, forget that. <laughs> None of you got that one. So, um, no, I, I, I remember the soundtrack and yeah. you're right. All about, yeah. all that's right. I think, I think the, tw- the twister soundtrack was just, it was never really brought to light that it was, you know, Van Halen playing on most of it, uh, and Eddie being part of it. Uh, I just love his sound. I love, I love the transition from the, the David Lee Roth era to the Sammy a- Hagar era. I think they have, they're almost two different bands altogether, and they just have a cool sound each way. Uh, Eddie started doing a little bit more expense, experimental stuff with Hagar, I think, uh, like with like we said with Pound Cake with the drill and a few other sounds and and crazy stuff that he did. Uh, but overall, I just I I, I want to wrap this up because we've been talking for a little over an hour now, <laughs> so. It's it's sad that we lost such a great influence on um, on rock and such a young age. And I just wanted to put this podcast together for this this specific episode just to kind of give him a little bit of tribute because, you know, without Van Halen, I think there's a lot of other bands that I might have missed out on. Because not only did they influence, not only did Eddie... And, and the rest of Van Halen influenced other bands to get into the industry, but they also influenced my t- my personal taste in some of the rock uh, that was coming out in the 80s. And going into the hair metal and heavy metal and whatever you want to call all the different genres that kind of spun off in, in the early 80s. But um, So to wrap it up, does anybody have any closing thoughts on, on Eddie? Um any more specific songs that really, really are important to you or anything like that? Dave, you got anything else to add to this? Well, I don't want to end on jump, so I've got to go <laughs> with Panama. Okay, Panama was the last song I was going to bring up. Um, you know, once again, still iconic for the 1980s music videos. Uh, you know, as we said earlier, just the spectacle that was David, you know, swinging along. Uh, you know, with the, the boom box and, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, the 80s regale, you know, of, you know, being the great spectacle. But, you know, even rewatching that video, you, you, you still saw that Eddie was such a big influence and part of that, you know, and it seemed like, you know, a lot of frames he was, you know, even though he wasn't the front man, he was still a very iconic part of that band and still much part of the signature that was Van Halen, uh, you know, even in the, all those videos. So I, I, I think, you know, the it, it goes into, you know, the the great guitarist where you, you you have, you know, 
you know, it's not just the lead singer that's the the face of the band. You you know, you have such great backing, you know, from these talented artists, and I know Eddie was that in so many ways. So um, so yeah, that's what I wanted to end on. Didn't he just look like he was having fun and every video that they shot too, and all the concerts? Yeah, like he was just yeah. he was just he he just always seemed like he was having a good time doing what he loved. And it, right. and it was obvious in uh, a lot of the concerts. Now, um, Derek, you've seen them live, right? Yeah, I've seen Eddie. I mean, I've seen all three uh, band, all three lead singers. I've probably seen the band seven or eight times, I guess, over the years. Oh wow! First time, first time was in I think it was '88, the Monsters of Rock tour. Um, I saw him up in Foxborough at the old Sullivan Stadium where the Patriots used to play and it was a million degrees and I was sitting way up top and and it was an all day affair with, I mean, Metallica was the opening band. (laughs) So, um, but that was the first time I saw him and I've seen him. Yeah. Probably seven or eight times since I think something like that. And go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, if, if, if I'm going to just end my thoughts on him, like the, the other things I thought about that I haven't said yet are, um, like for intro wise, summer nights. Oh yeah, um, the intro, that was on intro to that is amazing. And like the two, he does. I remember trying to learn it on guitar, and he has this weird tuning on it. And I remember the video. He he played this like cut off headstock guitar that had that tiny little body with the with the same red and white stripes on it, mm-hmm. um, and it had like this <laughs> Steinberger tremolo on it. And it was something like nobody had ever even seen a guitar like that before. At least I hadn't. Um, and that intro was incredible. And, um, so, so that would, that would be my, my last thought about an intro. And then just the last thing I want to say about him is that like that last album that they put out a different kind of truth with David Lee Roth. Like I honestly, I tried not to let myself get, you know, any expectations. I would, I kind of just assumed it was, wasn't going to be good. Um, and it came out and I, and I really enjoyed it. And, and I guess the, the bummer is that at the time and even until just, last week um i i expected that there would be another album you know another something someday and now that you know there's not gonna be um that's the part that that's kind of a bummer but i mean i, I personally won't be surprised if somehow whether it's his son or somebody there's got to be recordings from that 5150 studio that are sitting there that nobody's ever heard before that somehow somebody has got to get their hands on them and, and put them out uh, and let let us all hear it, but um, but I you know I was very encouraged after that last album to to listen to more, and it, that's the the part that I think hit me the hardest was that there's not going to be any more, and that's that's a bummer. Yeah, that's like that didn't even dawn on me to think that there's not going to be any more. Like you can't you you can't continue this band, whether it's with David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar or or whoever as a lead vocal, you can't. You can't have Van Halen without Eddie. Right. Nope. I mean, Alex, great. Amazing drummer. Love his drumming work. Uh, you know, Michael Anthony, during the time, great. I, I, I like his bass playing. I don't know anything about it. He seems like he does good. He's fun. He's funny. <laughs> like on stage. But uh, like Chris, you would probably know more about, you know, his bass playing than anybody uh, just because you play bass. But... Um, so yeah, there's no, there's no Van Halen without Eddie. There, there can be, there can be 
no more. They can't continue this on. It's going to be, it's going to be uh, tribute bands from here on out. That's about it. So. Yeah, if I, I guess if I had a, a last song like <clears throat> intro wise or even song wise, it would be "Ain't Talking About Love." I like the intro to that quite a bit, um, and the song in general. Mm-hmm. That's a really good song. But um, so through the great through the rumor grapevine is that they have about three albums worth of material that Wolfgang and Alex have that they may do some sort of um, eponymous release with at some point. Okay. That'd be interesting. So there could be some more Van Halen music that no one's ever heard just the lost, the lost sitting there years. waiting, waiting to be put together. But I mean, as far as Eddie, uh, you know, he, uh, he, there's a lineage of, of times where you can look, especially like in rock music to, maybe select a person or a band or what have you that say, okay, well, this is, this is a jump to a different style that is the influence has, has changed that, you know, like through the fifties and the sixties and and the seventies. And you know, all the bands that you say, okay, well, this is a point in time that everyone's going to remember because right. Like that's Hendrix. Well, like Hendrix and good, and good. Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and the Kinks and, mm-hmm. you know, and the Kinks don't get mentioned enough as being a huge influence on what happened from the mid 60s on. But trust me, they are like and, you could do a whole show on the Kinks that you don't even understand how much they influence and like the Yardbirds and, you know, what well, have you. And there's the just, Kinks there's time frames. The one that did You Really Got Me. Exactly. So and so I should tell you that, something that kicked but, it off right there. But Eddie. I think Eddie's leap that he took music to probably lasted longer than all of those. Because what Eddie did in, in 76, 77 in the club days in 78, when, when the first Van Halen song came out, you could see his influence well into the early nineties, mm-hmm. be it how he played the solos the equipment that he used like Van Halen was one of the first bands to when they went on tour had these wall of Marshall amps and cabinets like they were so loud. They were known as like one of the loudest bands to ever be on tour like that whole stage act got carried into the 80s and 90s. His playing style, the party aspect, the blonde lead singer like you can take all these little <laughs> things Seriously, you could take all these little things and and how much in 1978 that 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 band and Eddie Van Halen influenced to all those later generations. Like it just it just it even the way songs are structured and amplified like in the mid 80s where a good portion of the sound is amplified toward getting to the solo. Like you're you're absolutely right. And that's Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Because they wanted to put the the lead guitar player as, you know, like a lot of songs lead up to an intro and a bridge that carries you to the solo, where the solo is meant to be more important in some aspects than the actual song itself. Hmm. And that, even those little tiny tidbits, is he will have, he had a lasting effect on. Now, 
music is very different these days. It, it, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's different. But when he was there and when he was planted firmly as the greatest guitar player of, of that era or our era, clearly without, I don't, and I don't think without competition, like I, Randy Rhodes, whatever, like there, there's no Eddie, there's no Randy. So you can take it like that. Like there's no, all these George Lynch, whoever you think, like Eddie is heads and, and shoulders above them. So how he changed music, especially in the era that I grew up in, because like 1980, I was 11. So that you start listening to music of your own. You get away from your parents' music when you get to that age because you right. start hanging out with friends and listening to the radio. And Eddie's influence on how that happened was was paramount to heavy metal and glam rock or whatever you want to call it being probably the most popular music in the 80s or at least very much number two in the top of what influenced music in that decade. And Eddie doing what he did in the late 70s brought all that and i hope in you know the way that music is now it's not like that because people our age are going to gravitate towards eddie van halen people who are younger obviously have no idea who he is but i hope in the pantheon of music history that eddie is never forgotten as how important he was to the 12 to 15 years after that in in hard rock music because that 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 was one of those leaping points of Something has changed, and um, and I think it's great, and I, and I'll miss him. I I, I'll, I'll, I know he was older; he probably wasn't going to create a whole lot of new music, but definitely a huge influence on on everyone that played that kind of music. And then he will be missed. And it's sixty five isn't young; it's not old. I don't know what it is, but you know i'm sure he had a lot of music left in him well, if he when we sick. when we're in our 20s 65 was ancient but now that we're in our 50s 65 is young yeah no it is it's <laughs> right it is but i'm oh my gosh. i'm sure that's awesome i'm sure if, i'm sure if he wasn't sick he had more music left in him and that yeah. uh, and that that to me is always sad when people are taken when they still have when they still have something left in them yeah i give. i think i think you're you're this this little uh, your little monologue that you just went through about his influence on everything. I think you you just put that really well. That whole you wrapped that all up really nicely. So I'm I'm glad that you said all of that because I think that's the best way to wrap up Eddie. You know his influence and all this stuff. Um, you just you said it really well, and I think I think we should kind of end on that note. Um, no pun intended, of course. So, uh, Dave, thanks uh, for for joining us. Derek, thank you, and Chris, thank you for for being part of this. Uh, I sure. I wasn't sure, you know, because I'm not a musician. I wasn't sure what direction we were going to go with this, as far as you know, giving Eddie just a little cheers or or toast to Eddie. Uh, all I know is that. Uh, I have, you know, over a hundred songs in my library that are Van Halen, and we could have started off by saying, well, what's the 
what's the top 100 songs of Van Halen? (laughs) (laughs) Because, because they have, they have, you know, they have that many albums out that they could, that you could talk about a hundred songs. Um, I put a short list together today just for listening while we're out. And it was, it consists of 95 songs. So I, you know, there's some that I left out anyway. It's just, uh, it's, it's sad. It's awesome that we had such a great musician influence, uh, the, the type of music that I love so much and that Chris and I know Derek are, are big fans of. Dave, I know you, you, you don't lean as much into the, the hard rock stuff as we do, but you still, there's no doubt that this guy had a huge impact on, um, how music is just how how sorry my dogs are getting a little crazy out there how he he just had such an impact on uh the rock industry altogether so yeah and, anyway and i i don't have the words but i i think eddie said it best when he said this um. <laughs> <laughs> We could do this for another minute. <laughs> yeah, it's. <sighs> All right, sorry. See that? Oh, that's okay. that in no, there. That's perfect. Perfect. That that tremolo, like even little tiny things like that, like that, like that tremolo dive at the end when you cut it off. That like that, like that. It, it, that's. Before Eddie, that that wasn't a thing. Huh. Like you can take little snippets of that. The 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 pick on the strings going down, like um, all metal bands in the eighties did, like that. Slide. Like that. Yeah. Like that. That that wasn't done. Like if you if you pick apart every little tiny thing that Eddie influenced, you all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my god, I, I had no idea. Like the things that he did that are just tiny little snippets of something that carried over to thousands of guitar players after that. And he's like, well, that was never done before. Cause you take it for granted. Like, no, it wasn't like yeah. he did that. He made that happen. So that, that's why I hope he's never, and he won't be forgotten because he's a legend, but like, it's, it's important to tie all those little things up to say he was so much more of an influence than you can ever even imagine. Yeah. Total, like the good word too. Legend, he'll be legendary forever. Um, so anyway, the Rushmore. He's on the Rushmore of guitar players in my mind, without question. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to put it. Um, mm. So let's run through some social media stuff so you can reach uh, us through bonsairetroclub.com. You can send us an email at uh, McFly at Bonsai Retro Club. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at as well, Bonsai Retro Club. Derek, do you have any Twitter handle that you want to throw out there? No, I don't do Twitter. Okay. Facebook, anything like that? It's um, okay no. if you don't. That's cool. <laughs> Chris, go ahead. Chris, what about you on uh, Twitter? Um... People will be offended by my Twitter, so okay. I'll just leave that <laughs> off. <laughs> All right. 
Well, you know where to get a hold of us on, uh, you know, you can follow us through any of the, any of the social media stuff through Bonsai Retro Club. So, uh, also if you, if you are enjoying the show, uh, go out there and leave us a, a review. That'd be awesome. Rate it, review it. Um, we appreciate that kind of thing and feedback. We love feedback. Not the sound of guitar feedback. I mean, we love that too, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about feedback, like, you know, tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, anything like that. Yeah. Or or if you have any <laughs> ideas on, on topics that you want to bring up, uh, we're always open for that kind of a, kind of thing too. So the topic, the, the topic of was 5150 actually supposed to be the soundtrack for Top Gun or not? Ooh. The legend. That is uh, legendary. No yeah. one knows if it's true or not. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like the song Dreams, right? Not only the song Dreams, but Van Halen 5150 itself, the entire album, the legend has it, was that that was supposed to be specifically the entire soundtrack to Top Gun. None of the Kenny Loggins stuff or anything like that. No Berlin? When David Lee Roth left the band, everything got scrapped because Van Halen was in such disarray that they got Kenny Loggins together to write a few songs. They took some songs from some other bands, threw together a soundtrack, and that became the legendary Top Gun soundtrack. Which but, I just um, watched that movie like two weeks ago, too. It but it's mostly, mostly legend. No one knows if it's actually true or if that was just something that was made up. But I thought it was a funny side note because you mentioned soundtrack. Could be an yeah, urban, I'm, could I'm be an personally urban very happy that didn't happen because uh, Steve Stevens played that Top Gun anthem on that soundtrack, and it was one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. Yeah, yeah. Steve Stevens with Billy Idol. Well, who, who yeah. was with Billy Idol at the time? It, yeah, right. he played it with that guy Harold Faltermeyer, who was doing keyboards oh, for yeah. like Miami Vice and all that stuff. And the two of them wrote like the theme song. For that movie, and um, that solo was outrageous. Cool. All right. Yep. Um, anybody else have any parting words? We're, we're good to wrap up. Just uh, be excellent to each other. Be oh, that's <laughs> right. I almost forgot. Be excellent to each other. That's the theme of our show. <laughs> be excellent to each other and have a good whatever, because we don't know when you're going to actually listen to this. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for being part of this. Um, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Really appreciate it. And, and, uh, rest in peace, Eddie. And yeah. that is all. Talk to you guys later. Oh, there we go. That's Derek. <laughs> thank you for throwing that out there. That was good. I liked it. Something, very, very awesome. Something like that. And then there would be Michael Anthony with the bass in the background, like playing <laughs> strict, strictly eighth and sixteenth notes through the entire song. And it worked one, like a charm. With one tiny little fill off of one of Alex's snare changes. <laughs> Otherwise, it was just basically straight eighth and sixteenth notes, and it completely fit the song. Absolutely. Michael Anthony is the greatest simple bass player ever. 
Right. He, and he, he was sing. That was the best part about him is he did all those background vocals. All the harmonies were all Michael Anthony. Every single harmony in the Van Halen mm-hmm. songs was all Michael Anthony. And he played the simplest bass lines that just absolutely fit the song. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a legend without being like Billy Sheehan, like, like that kind of technical player. But like him and Alex, the way that they drove the song through the rhythm section right. was it just it was so perfectly simple and simply perfect at the same right. time. Like yep. there's uh, as a bass player, you're like, oh, it's not technical. It's not this, but it absolutely fit yep. perfectly. Like it was round, round peg, round hole every mm-hmm. single song. And it was so simple and so perfect. Yep. And yet he, I mean, Michael Anthony had one of the best stage presences of a, of a bass player that I've ever yeah. seen, especially once he, once he got that, um, that bass with the Jack Daniels body the Jack and everything. Daniels bass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, mean, yeah. his, even when he did his bass solo, it was just, it was, he just cranked it to a million and, and just made a bunch of noise, but everybody loved it. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just, it was, they're, they're, they're just a great band. Like Alex was a very simple drummer and he was also from the Neil Pert school of drumming but not as a technical aspect like alex played with i don't know probably 20 drums on stage one of the biggest drum kits you'd ever see in your entire life like from a live standpoint um that was sort of that neil pert i think neil pert at one time in rush like played on stage with 35 drums (laughs) and a drum kit like i I mean just this massive thing and alex just but alex used every one of them in in a way in the song that you could tell if you if you like broke down just the rhythm section yep it was simple but it was perfect again not the greatest technical drummer that you could say oh he's one of the top drummers of all time and all this but everything they did just fit yep yep and they didn't have to do anything extraneous because that was Eddie's job right all yep. they had to do all they had to do was fill in the holes and keep the rhythm and they did it better than almost anyone else has ever done. Totally true. Well, that's uh, I'm going to leave that part in for the end of the show after the uh, outro, because that was a nice little nice little thing you got going on. There. Anyway, um, I will talk to you guys later. Uh, All right. I'll try to get this edited soon so we can get it out maybe by the end of the week. Dave, did you have a movie planned for the end of the week for Friday? Uh, I do not have one reported yet. So okay. Uh, whatever day you have it ready, I'll be able to put it in. All right, we should be able to. I should be able to put something together. To oh my God, that's loud. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like it. Get that little extra. Just need that little extra to go to the If you want to just go over the top, right? <laughs> this one goes to 11. Are you guys still here? Yeah, we're still here. So uh, I'll I'll drop that in at the end there. So anyway, all right, we'll got we'll talk to you guys later. I'm gonna have, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> right, I got I to gotta get up early tomorrow. Derek, <laughs> nice to meet you. Dave, yes. good to talk to you again. And Scott, yeah, uh, go take care of your damn dogs. I know. <laughs> they were whining. They, they need to 
go out before we go to bed. So. <laughs> All right. Catch you later, guys. All right. Later. Yep. All right. Take care. Thank you. Production. Banzai, Daniel Zan. Hey, Banzai.